Hello, this is Dennis Sanders. Today, we talk about faith practices and neighboring practices. This is episode 155 of Church and Maine. Hello and welcome to Church in Maine, the podcast that's the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Church in Maine is a podcast that looks at issues affecting the church and how those issues also influence the larger society. You can learn more about the podcast, especially listening to past episodes, by checking us out at churchinmaine.org or at churchinmaine.substack.com and consider subscribing. Well, if you've followed this podcast for a while now, you know that I'm interested in how the local congregation faces a rapidly changing world. Churches are in crisis, and there is a drive to out-innovate and out-program the competition in order to be relevant in the 21st century. The problem with this is that it really doesn't work, and it makes the congregation the center of our faith instead of, you know, God. Earlier this year, I interviewed theologian Andrew Root, who draws from the work uh, of Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor. And Root tells Christians in congregations today that it's not the next big program that matters. It's really resonance, sitting and waiting for God to show up in our faith communities, in our relationships, and in our lives. Today's guest is also asking us to listen to God and to listen to the communities where our congregations are located. Nicholas Tangan is the Director for Faith Practices and Neighboring Practices for the Minneapolis Area Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. In this position, he brings together faith practice with the practice of being a good neighbor. To give you an example of what he where he is coming from, you may want to see what he did before he came to the Minneapolis Area Synod. Before his current position, he served as Minister for Faith and Community at University Lutheran Church of Hope in Minneapolis, where he redesigned the children's ministry curriculum to focus on fostering spiritual practices in the home and social transformation. He also facilitated Bible studies with a lens towards social change and current events, and organized intergenerational activities that formed relationships and community in creative expressions of spirituality. In addition to all of this, he also led efforts to address food insecurity needs in the Dinkytown neighborhood of Minneapolis by planning, launching, and operating the Dinkytown Farmer's Market and participated in the Synod's community organizing trainings. Nicholas is a native of Rosemont, Minnesota, and he has a Master of Arts in in Leadership from the United Theological Seminary in the Twin Cities. If you're a pastor or a lay leader of a congregation, 
that's trying to find better ways to connect with the surrounding community, this is an episode for you. So let's listen to this interview with Nicholas Tangen. Well, Nick, it's good to have you joining us on this podcast today. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate the invitation and yeah, glad to be with you. I think what I want to do is just kind of start off is um, knowing a little bit about you, um, mm-hmm. where you grew up and kind of your um, church background, and then um, learn a little bit about um, your role with the Minneapolis mm-hmm. area synod. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, my name's Nick Tangen. I'm the director of faith practices and neighboring practices at the Minneapolis Area Synod. Um, I grew up in uh, Rosemount, Minnesota, so, so just south of the uh, Twin Cities here. But most of my family's from northern Minnesota. Okay, and we were not very churchy people uh, when we were when I was a kid. Um, my mom was what you might call a recovering Catholic, and so wasn't so sure about about church. But there were there was this like three year period where my mom got really interested in in church and so wanted us to go to church and I think we went to just about every denomination in that three year span and wow you know just trying out every church we could find um, and they just never really stuck and eventually my family kind of pulled back a little bit again but it was in uh, my sophomore year of high school I was in a very terrible pop punk band. <sighs> And uh, we were looking for places to play, and the local Lutheran church said, well, you can come and play some of your songs so long as you play the youth group music uh, afterwards. And, and we thought, well, great, you know, free gig. So that was my first connection to the Lutheran church. Um, and I, there were some gaps in between there, um, and, but really uh, the Lutheran church has been kind of my home for uh, quite a few years now. And I've been working in congregations and now at the synod uh, with our bishop uh, doing community engagement work for about uh, 10 years um, so which makes me feel so old but it's, <laughs> it's true and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate that reality now so yeah and I can do you want me to say just a little bit yeah. about the project itself yeah you talk about community engagement mm-hmm. um, and so how would you define that what does that look like yeah there's a lot of ways to think about community engagement. You know, there's um, in in the church we often think in terms of um, service with the neighborhood, right? So we might mm-hmm. think about what are the what are the things we can do for our neighbors, or what's kind of the the charity projects we have, or or things like that. There's also community organizing, which is building power, um, getting decision makers to to say yes to something, even though they might not want to, and mm-hmm. ch- shifting policy and change. My my kind of intervention, the place where I like to spend a lot of time, is more in that kind of relational space. It's it's about it's about how do we um, how do we embody what it means to be good and faithful neighbors, and mm-hmm. so it's it's focused on those kind of small, simple ways that we relate to one another um, outside the walls of our church. Um, and so, 
uh, for me, this this project that I'm a, a part of, Faith and Neighboring Practices, um, uh, through the Minneapolis Area Synod, we're bringing churches together, uh, uh, 12 to 15 churches in regional cohorts, and helping them um, think about those small, simple practices, the small things we do consistently over time that put us in connection with our our neighbor um, mm-hmm. in relational ways, in ways that are not transactional, in ways that are not... Um, you know, power over or, um, but, but are rather kind of walking alongside and, and accompaniment. So, and how does, what does that look like in a congregation? And I think mm-hmm. I can back up and ask, kind of give you a little bit of context because, yeah. um, as congregations, and especially these days, mm-hmm. many of us don't necessarily live in the neighborhood that we're in. Yeah. So we're coming in from a place, mm-hmm. um, I know in my own background of um, we have what I would call kind of regional churches. So you have people mm-hmm. kind of coming in from every everywhere. Yeah. Um, how, what does it look like to kind of have relations mm-hmm. in that neighborhood to kind of when you don't necessarily maybe live in that neighborhood, but yet yeah. want to be a part of it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest um, challenges, I think, for community engagement, because for so long, it really was common that people went to church in the neighborhood where they lived, right? And that it, it, for for a lot mm-hmm. of years in the U.S. And like you're saying, that's less likely now or less common now. And you have a lot of people coming from all over the place, um, which means that there's a question of self-interest, right? Um, it's it's hard to know what is my self-interest in this neighborhood if. I don't shop here. My kids don't go to school here. I don't vote here, right? Um, And I think uh, a couple of things. One is that I think um, God has called us to be church in place. I Mm -hmm. I think that matters, right? That it's not an accident that we are church in the places we are church. And and I, I truly believe that. Um, and so I do think it's it's a part of our baptismal and our vocational call to be the neighbor in the places where God has asked us to be. Um, and what that means then is that it's um, it means that it for those of us who don't live in that immediate neighborhood, we have to be increasingly intentional um, about things we might take for granted um, if we lived in the community. So uh, one of the things uh, we ask our congregations to do regularly is to walk in the neighborhood, to be outside, walking the community, mm-hmm. getting a sense of the um, the layout and the streets and the small businesses and, and the people outside. Part of that is is just um, being visible and being seen and seeing your neighbor. I think all the time about like when I first moved into my house here, how much um, – how much trust was built in those first few weeks just by seeing my neighbor a little Mm -hmm. bit. And then you kind of like slowly start to, Hey, hi, how's it going? And then build up to a more meaningful relationship. And unfortunately now, especially if we are um, kind of regional churches, a lot of times our churches really only see us when we're walking from church to car. And so Mm -hmm. for them, they're thinking, you know, I don't know if the church has an interest in the neighborhood because we just never see them here. Hmm. So that's one thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I think one of the other, the interesting things about your title, and that's, this mm-hmm. has always been fascinating, is that it's faith and neighboring practices. Mm-hmm. Where does the faith part come in? And yeah. then where the neighboring, and it seems like you're kind of merging faith practices 
mm-hmm. then also then practices with getting to know the neighbor. How do yeah. those two kind of come together? Absolutely. When I was working um, uh, in churches doing community engagement work, I was also doing faith formation. Mm-hmm. And part of what I was always trying to to do was to bring these two um, often separate disciplines uh, together because I think they really do function as two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. that they're not separate. Um, I think in in kind of church culture these days, at least in the churches that I spend time in, when we talk about faith formation, mostly what we mean is education, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to have a classroom, bring folks together, we're going to talk about God. And then when we talk about neighboring or or service as outreach is usually what we mean that's the kind of separate doing good deeds on behalf of our neighbors mm-hmm. and for me though when i reflected back on my own my own faith formation it was those moments of encounter it was those moments of seeing god at work in in the community in the gathering of people in um powerful connections in the neighborhood, those were the places where I felt most formed in my own faith. And so we've mm-hmm. said um, in this project, how can we how can we develop um, uh, practices on both sides of this coin that help us to, to um, kind of see the neighborhood through this lens? And for us, we've settled into two disciplines that I think help us do that. One is asset-based community development. And so this is a way of looking at our neighborhood through a lens of gifts and strengths rather than needs. And then the second is contemplative spiritual practice. Um, so a way of praying and um, and deepening our relationship with God that is focused more on, <clears throat> excuse me, more on listening rather than our own action or our own speaking. Mm-hmm. And we've really found that those two disciplines um, again, just hold this posture of listening really carefully and um, seem to really work together. And so, you know, when we have folks uh, doing three months of neighborhood listening, so they're maybe holding, um, you know, holding gatherings in their community and then, and then um, kind of asking neighbors questions about the neighborhood or what's kind of top of mind for them. We're also asking them to pay attention to where they see God at work in that interaction. Mm. It's that kind of reflective process. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe that's uh, an initial piece. That's kind of how we see those two things living together. Yeah, I, and I did read a little, have read a little bit about your writings on on, mm-hmm. on um, asset based uh, community development, mm-hmm. and um, that is an interesting way of looking at things. If mm-hmm. because I think normally sometimes when I've heard about how we engage communities, it's like what are the needs exactly, um, which. It's understandable, but mm-hmm. it could also be, I don't want to say, condescending is not the best word for it, but it, it, it can be not listening to the yes. community as much yeah. or giving them some sense of agency. Exactly. Um, and so this is kind of an interesting way of looking at it is mm-hmm. um, because I think we're so engaged in wanting to do something and, yes. and not always to sit and to listen. Yes. I think there's one of the things I've I've noticed in my own work is there's a I think in the mainline church especially, I think we've adopted a lot of nonprofit culture. Mm, and so mm-hmm. we tend to see ourselves as uh organizations that have a job to do, you know, and we have we have things we're supposed to get done. We're problem solvers. That's one of the ways we think about the neighborhood. 
Um, but what ends up happening then is we put ourselves into into a position where we become service providers and our neighbors then are recipients. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means we're always looking at our neighbors through the lens of, of a deficiency. So we see them as homeless. We see them as poor. We see, right, instead of as the the people who have gifts and strengths that have been given to them by God <clears throat> to contribute to the common good. Um, and so it's a it's a big shift to say God is actually up to something really incredible in our neighborhoods already. And what if as the church, our job is to go out, find where that's happening and tell that story and then help to amplify it so that folks feel like um, they have a chance to actually contribute to their own neighborhood and community rather than always having to receive from a professional or, or some service institution. So what is that looking like kind of in concrete? Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, for one, I I don't know if you do, but I, um, live in, uh, North Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. So, um, that is an area where there are a lot of what you would say is our problems, Mm -hmm. but there are also lots of, of, of agencies and community groups Mm -hmm. and other people engaged in that area. So it's not without any help, Mm -hmm. um, are there churches, and I, I know that there are, are especially ELCA churches in that area, are, they, mm-hmm. are there examples of how they are working with those groups that are already on the ground? And what does mm-hmm. that look like that they're listening and, and engaging those groups and people who live there? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for a lot of the churches that I'm working with right now, um, the they're still at a space of discovering their neighborhood. I think okay. in a lot of ways they've they've been so removed from the community that they just really don't know um, the neighborhood at all. And mm-hmm. so we're spending a lot of time just getting folks out into the community. Um, like I said, walking the neighborhood, um, meeting some of the stakeholders and the immediate neighbors, having some intentional conversations and, and starting to familiarize themselves again. Mm-hmm. Um but there are also there are churches all over the country that are doing um, some of this really incredible asset-based work. There's a, a book I would uh, really recommend and a, a, a pastor I would um, uh, really commend uh, named Mike Mather. He's a pastor out in Colorado. Um, but when he was in Indianapolis, uh, he his congregation started um, using this asset-based lens for their work. And he told this great story about um, how they had a food shelf um, in their in their church. And usually when folks would come to the food shelf, the first thing you ask is this kind of litany of questions, you know, who lives in your house? What's your income? How often do you have to come here? And he said, he realized that, um, we were basically asking people when they came to the food shelf, how poor are you? Mm. And so he said, we decided to shift that up and instead started asking, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What is something you know how to do well enough that you could teach someone else? And one of the examples he gave was a, a, an elderly woman who came in and she said, uh, I love to cook. And Pastor Mike Mather said, prove it, and asked her to come and cook at the church uh, for the staff. And she did, and, um, and they paid her for it. And over some time, they started to encourage her to... Um, uh, to be to to think of herself as the church caterer, and so whenever organizations were coming to be uh, coming to meet at the church, she would cook for them, hmm. and then that in, that organization would pay her for it. Okay, and it 
after a couple of years, um, she was actually able to open her own business, open her own restaurant, um, because she had built so much good word of mouth through this through this practice and this process. And the thing that was powerful to me is Mike Mather said, um, he said, you know, it would have always been true that this woman um, had this gift, this skill, but if no one had asked her or invited her to share it, none of this would have been possible. And so he said it was just that small shift um, that that kind of uh, changed uh, their their sense of what it meant to be neighbor and changed her life. Um, so that's wow. that's an example that has been really meaningful for me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So if one of the other things that I think in, in thinking about this in the community community engagement is that you tend to think about this in an urban setting. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, not all churches are in no. cities. There, there are churches in suburbs. Mm-hmm. What does this look like in, in a suburban setting? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's I think uh, suburban churches tend to be more of the outlier even than, you know, rural or urban churches. I mm-hmm. think rural and urban churches tend to have actually a lot in common um, in some of those dynamics. Um but I think part of part of the suburban church um, uh, piece is well, one is that suburbs tend to have significantly less public gathering space. Um, they might have some parks or mm-hmm. something like that, but you know they don't have the same kind of attachment to public gathering space. And so I think for a lot of congregations, it's it's thinking of themselves as conveners. Using using the church and and the asset of that that property as a a place to gather neighbors and bring neighbors together to start to build some of that um, that connection and that relationship. I grew up in a suburb, uh, started as a rural suburb, but grew up in Rosemount. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, we maybe knew the neighbors right next door to us who shared a fence with us, but it was tough to know the neighbors much further out. Um, there aren't sidewalks in the neighborhood where I grew up. There aren't those kind of walking spaces. Um, so it takes a particular kind of creativity, I think, to to get out and find those um, find those ways to uh, to engage. But I think they're out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think again, it's always for me this this work comes down to the small, simple things we often take for granted. I think it's things like table fellowship. It's things like intentional conversations one-to-one. It's changing the the conversation um, so that instead of asking, you know, what does our neighborhood need or where is our neighborhood hurting? We're asking, what does our neighborhood have? What are the strengths? Uh, what can our neighborhood do together? What's the possibility? Um, but I think it's also um, uh, just familiarizing yourself with um, those eight to 10 neighbors closest to you. You know, mm-hmm. if a church a church could spend years just developing the relationships with the folks on their block, um, and that would be plenty of work for a church in the suburbs, I think. How important do you think is the concept of place, um, mm-hmm. especially for the church? Because I think we live in this age with, with social media and things online. Obviously, we're doing this conversation mm-hmm. online. Yep. Is the sense I, I sometimes hear at times that physical places don't matter. Mm. Um, and, I, but we are still physical beings. Um, mm-hmm. And we 
there are still the physical world is out there. So um, how much does that matter and why does it matter, especially in this day of when we do so much stuff virtually? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think place matters in, um, supremely. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think theologically um, I start with the incarnation, right? Mm. God takes on flesh in Jesus and not generic flesh. He takes on particular flesh, right? Of a particular person among a particular people in a particular place. And I think that continues to be true uh, uh, for each of us that we are, we are called um, to, to be the church in a particular place among a particular people. I also think that um, Jesus shows up for us in the face of our neighbor in that, in that particularity, um, which I think is, is, is key. Other, uh, on the other um, uh, side of this also, um, neighborhoods are the context for um, so much of what really matters in our lives. A lot of our sense of public safety starts locally, starts in the mm-hmm. neighborhood. Health and wellness is largely a neighborhood uh, is largely a neighborhood concern. We often think about healthcare, um, but where you live matters significantly more to your health outcomes than whatever healthcare service you you end up with. Um, mm-hmm. Things like the raising uh, and formation of children; those are largely um, local uh, local issues. Um, and food, food is another one, right? Food is essential to who we are. Um, I think about uh, North Minneapolis, you know, is a, is, a, is a prime example of a place that is consistently struggling uh, to find access to good and healthy food, right? It's, it's, I know, I think the, was it the Aldi mm-hmm. that just closed in North Minneapolis and lost access to yeah. one of the last grocery show stores, right? So I think that's that's the big those are the those big things for our regular daily lives happen locally. And so I think place really does matter. And I get really nervous when the church takes its foot out of the neighborhood because I think then that tends to be a direction more towards an individualized sense of faith and looking more for affinity affinities rather than the neighborhood you have um, you've been gifted to be a part of, right? Which is a mm-hmm. little, a little more like family, right? You, we don't get to choose our family. We don't get to choose our neighbors in the same way. And I think there's a gift in that, um, you know, because if I, if I'm only living within my homogenous little bubble that thinks the same way I think and acts the same way I think, um, I'm going to have a pretty small world and and a pretty small sense of of the human condition. So do you see that this is this kind of way of looking at the community and the church within the community? Is this something that is people are kind of catching on to and mm-hmm. our churches and, and especially middle, middle judicatories really kind of engaging um, in this approach? I think so. You know, I mean, I think... I've often heard that question, you know, people have posed this question, uh, you know, if the church closed its doors today, would the neighborhood notice that you were gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of churches and judicatories uh, in COVID, that question was answered. Um, the churches closed their doors, and for a lot of churches, they had to realize that the answer was no. The neighborhood didn't notice or didn't care that the church had closed its doors. And I think that was a bit of... 
uh, both a wake-up call and an, and an identity crisis uh, for some churches who realized, whoa, okay, um, we thought we were maybe connected in this community, um, and it turns out maybe we weren't. Um, but I think also what they're finding, too, is, um, is that the uh, churches that have a sense of aliveness, the, what we say is vitality or whatever that might be, tend to be those churches that are deeply rooted in place. They're the, they're the churches that have a clear sense of their identity rooted here, that we've been called here, we're in relationship with the neighborhood. Um, the neighborhood, in whatever ways we've, we've built this relationship, can count on us and we can count on the community. There's trust there. Um, and so I've seen, I've seen this kind of place-based approach catching on all over the place. And so there are other um, organizations doing similar work like the Riverside Innovation Hub at Augsburg University. Uh, there's the Parish Collective out on the West Coast uh, that's doing some similar work. Um, there are also, even here in the Twin Cities, I think they've changed their name now, but there was a group called Ace in the City, which is focused on place uh, uh, placemaking and thinking mm -hmm. about how we use church buildings locally. Um, so I do think it's catching on. I feel like there's a there's kind of a movement happening right now for the church to um, to attend again to the small, to the simple, and to the local. Um, and I think that's I think that's exciting because I think when we start to get a sense of what's actually possible just in those few blocks around our neighborhood, I think we're going to continue to just be surprised by what God is already up to. <laughs> How hard, how hard do you think it is for, especially for churches? And I think I've heard this before and I, it's, you know, to basically be still and listen, <laughs> listening for God, listening for neighbor. Yeah. Because I think that so much of our churches today are designed for action instead yes. of contemplation. Um, yes. and you know, as a pastor, I, I totally mm -hmm. feel that pull. Of, of trying to do yeah. stuff. Um, how hard has mm -hmm. that been do you, in your kind of being in your position? How hard do you think it has been for churches to really sit still and listen mm -hmm. for God and listen to the community? Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I tell you, it's, I mean, it's not just church culture. I think it's American culture broadly is we're a culture of busyness and outcomes and, um, you know, and silence and stillness is like death. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's tough. What I find though, is that the hardest part is the invitation, mm -hmm. you know, getting, once you invite folks, you know, that, that first invitation into silence or sitting down, you can see people just like, Bleh. but if you can get folks to take a moment and to sit down and pay attention, I think, I think it starts to, take hold um, uh, and people start to find the rest that I think they're often desperately looking for mm. and the permission to rest that they feel they never get. And I think I feel this for, for pastors all the time and, and for those of us working in the church, right? It feels like there isn't, we don't have the permission often or don't feel like we have the permission to reflect on what God is calling us to in this moment. Instead, we have to always be ahead of it. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Um, but I don't think I don't think that does us any good because I think we're missing a lot of the goodness that's already around us because we're just not 
paying attention to it, you know? And I, th- I think, um, yeah, inviting folks, especially just to do some of that reflective work. One of my favorite questions to ask folks when we get together is where have you seen God at work? That simple question where it, t- it gets people to just kind of reflect back on um, the, the work they've done, the, the relationships they've had, and to pay attention for where God is, that small, simple question, I think people start to um, wake up to the fact that God has been present in and throughout all of, um, all of what they've been about. But that's a tough, it's a tough ask in this culture, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can get them to take the seat— uh, take a seat and close their eyes and um, embrace a little bit of silence. I think they start to find, oh my gosh, this is exactly what my body and my spirit has been looking for 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 some time. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, hearing that reminds me of of some of the re- things I've been reading from um, Andrew Root from mm-hmm. um, Luther Seminary, and a yeah. lot of it is very similar. That sometimes mm-hmm. what we really so much of it, especially when it's churches as we're kind of dealing with decline, feels mm-hmm. like we have to do something and that yes. sometimes we need to just mm-hmm. sit. Exactly. And that's hard, I think, for us. Very um, hard. I think as, especially as you said, as Americans, because mm-hmm. of, we, we've always been very much of an active people. Yep. And that has its good good points, but... Absolutely. But sometimes you do just need to sit Yep. Um, because we can be moving so fast that we don't always mm-hmm. see the good that's around us. We don't really even sometimes see God exactly. um, happening around us. Um, exactly. And that, yeah. And, One of my favorite images for for uh, centering prayer, contemplative prayer, is to imagine ourselves sitting across the table from our beloved and mm-hmm. just kind of taking taking God's presence in. You know, <clears throat> and I think I think there's so much of that that's needed in the neighbor as well. Right. And I think part Mm -hmm. of the effect of so much nonprofit culture in our churches is we want to move fast and we want to see results fast. But Mm -hmm. I think we all know deep down that relational work takes time and community engagement, especially is long-term work. I mean, in some ways it's generational work Mm -hmm. and we're not going to, we're not going to accomplish all the things we want to accomplish in, you know, one church year, that's not going to happen, which means we might, uh, we might be called to do less, but to do it more consistently. Right. And, and I think, um, I think if we take the time and give ourselves some permission to go slow, to go deep, um, and, and to, to focus on, uh, connection and relationship more than on outcomes and um, numbers. We usually gauge things by butts and pews and dollars in the coffers. And if instead we start to measure um, measure ourselves by the depth of our connection and the richness of our faith, you know, I think that's a a much healthier and a much more hopeful uh, uh, vision for for church than than what we often hold. So one of the things that you've, and you kind of talked about it before, and this is also where probably um, talking a little bit about, because I know that you have a background, you're, and I'm always going to get this word wrong, oblate, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Benedictine, um, mm-hmm. oblate, is about contemplation mm-hmm. um, in as a kind of a, a faith practice. Yeah. Um, 
how, why is that important? And mm-hmm. how has that been important in your life? And how is that important in the life of the church? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I was brought to the Benedictines partially because, you know, in some ways, even though I had connections to the church when I was younger, I really mm-hmm. um, didn't find myself kind of caught up by the gospel until I was I was older. I was in my 20s. Um, and so I had a little bit of that convert zeal, you know, and mm-hmm. when I came to the church, I knew that um, something new had happened, right? Like I had been made new in some way, shape or form. And I was looking for my church to help me understand what does that mean for me now in my daily life. Mm-hmm. And often in my Lutheran Protestant church, that was not where we wanted to focus our attention. You know, it was, that was works, you know, or, or something like that. And so I was drawn to the Benedictine community for that kind of Christian intentionality. And yeah, like you said, for Benedictines, especially Lexio Divina, contemplative uh, sacred reading of scripture, um, a, a process of listening to the word of God more than, um, you know, that kind of like analysis of the word of God, which I think is so um, common within the Protestant church, is core to uh, to who, who Benedictines are. I think the contemplation matters because because of some of what we've already been saying, right? We we struggle often to see where God is at work, and partially I think that's because we just don't listen and we move forward at our own pace kind of always it kind of makes me think about um like when I lose my keys in my house and I start to get just so rapidly anxious about it. I start looking everywhere instead of just stopping to ask myself, where was the last place I saw them? You know, and mm-hmm. I'm never going to find them if I'm just running around the house all willy nilly. Um, but I think it's also that um, it's a it's a belief that God is still speaking, that God is still saying something new and something transformational and something liberating now in this moment, not not just 2,000 years ago, not just 500 years ago, but in this moment. And the invitation for us is to listen um, in relationship, I'd say, to, to Scripture and community. And, and I think those are always the guardrails of that contemplation. Um, but to, to discern where and how God is calling us to be faithful people today, in this mm-hmm. moment, now. Um, so I think that's, that's why I think it, it, it matters but I think it also matters because it's a contemplation is that space where we um, we allow ourselves to be held by God. Um, you know, it's interesting. We one of the things we noticed was the way we um, in this project. It often looks like the way we approach God in prayer and the way we approach the neighbor in the neighborhood look very similar. We approach them both transactionally. So we show up and we say, hey, God, give me something or let me give you something, my praise or thanksgiving, or hey, neighbor, let me give you something, charity or service, or give me something, come to church, come, you know, give us your dollars. And I think the invitation instead is to say, what if we just sat with our neighbor and sat with God and took in the the beauty and the um, the giftedness and the contribution of of that presence 
I think I think we'd start to both see God a little bit differently. I think we'd start to see our neighbor a little a little bit differently. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what's coming to mind for me right now. One of the things I always remember from way back in seminary, and I preached mm-hmm. something about Job. Um, it's interesting about Job's friends and. <laughs> The first part of that, (laughs) the first part of it though, with their, they did actually do one thing right. And Mm -hmm. that was at the beginning, they just sat with him. Yes. They didn't say anything. And it seems like that was a long, like days. Um, And I've always remembered that. Mm -hmm. It was when they said something that that was when it became a problem. Exactly. Um, But they, the beginning of it was just sitting with him and and there's something important about that Mm -hmm. especially because i think our temptation is to just say something or do something we want to fix it yeah Mm -hmm. and sometimes you can't fix it yeah or at least it maybe that might not be what needs to be done at that time exactly and again, yep. that's 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 hard because <laughs> oh you God. want to fix oh, it, <laughs> you want to solve it. Yes, especially if you feel like, oh, I know what to do. You know, then it's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, you know, that's even that's the hardest place to just take a step back and um, not offer advice, but instead, yeah, focus on connection instead. Um, I remember uh, this past summer, uh, one of our congregations was hosting a community meal, and I went and was sitting at the table with this woman. She was there by herself and uh, we just started talking. And my intention was, I'm just going to get curious. That's all Mm -hmm. I want to do is just get curious. And so I kept asking her questions and not like in an annoying way, but in a conversational way. And, you know, we, we found some connection. We're both originally, our families are from Northern Minnesota. So we started talking about hunting and fishing and all of that. And um, eventually she, she started to open up as we, as I got curious and she told me, about how she during COVID she had lost both her husband and her son and and had just this really painful um, uh, experience over the last couple of years and um, and we just kept talking and talking and she was able to kind of open up and say how much the community meal meant to her because mm-hmm. you know she's living alone now and this is the one time a week she's got someone to eat with and. And we talked maybe for like an hour and a half and it comes to a close and she's not a member of a church. She's just in the neighborhood. We come to a close, they're starting to clean up. And she asked me, she said, Hey, would it be okay if we prayed? And I was, I was just like floored by that. Right. It wasn't something that I asked for. It wasn't something that, you know, was part of a program or anything. It was just, it came naturally out of this conversation. She asked for it. And we, of course I was like, yes, please. And so we just ended our time together in prayer and I was just struck by, you know, that that opportunity wouldn't emerge if if instead of um, getting curious and listening, I was I was in this mindset of trying to solve her problems or trying to give her advice or direct her to somewhere else where she could get some services or right. Instead, it was just in sitting with her, letting her share her story, asking her to share her story. Um, that that connection was kind of made. And I think that's, that's the practice of contemplation, right? Is just, is that, that posture of curiosity and listening. Do you think one of the problems, cause you talked a lot about how churches can fall into kind of nonprofit culture mm-hmm. is, is, is a problem of ecclesiology. 
um, <laughs> that we don't really understand who we are as a church, um, as yep. a community of faith. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, no, I think that's tough. I think, especially, so I'm a lay person in the church, and it took me a lot of years to realize that I was being called as a lay person to serve the church, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think, um, in some ways, the pattern um, is my own opinion the pattern we see in the neighborhood of mm-hmm. kind of professional service provider and recipient. Um, often shows up in our churches as well, where we tend to think of our clergy as having the service to provide and the lay people as the recipients. And I think that's a self-fulfilling circle, right? It's a, I think as lay people, we often ask our pastors to be the end-all, be-all, provide all things, do all things. And I think, I think vice versa, I think that goes back and forth. And I think... Um, so I think in one one way, um, in one way, part of that ecclesiolo- ecclesiological question is about um, uh, the the vocation of each individual um, person within the church, including and especially lay people. Thinking about um, for the church to be the neighbor, that can't just be the clergy person, right? It it means that each and every one of us has to embody that culture. Uh, and that vocation of neighboring, of being the neighbor. Um, but I also think it's it's broadly that kind of um, sense of mission. What are we called to as the church? Are we called to save souls or are we called to be political actors or are we, and it's always this kind of um, either or mentality or a, we want the one silver bullet. Um, but I think faithful discipleship looks like a, uh, a messy, beautiful blend of all those things, um, but that's rooted in the neighbor. That that is always paying attention to um, to where and how God is speaking a new word in the face and the expression and the experience of of our neighbor. And now, how are we called to to respond to it? One of the things in in a recent blog post you write, you you brought up the the parable. And I just preached on this myself recently of the mm-hmm. the weeds, uh, wheat and tares. Um, yeah. And you related that to how, um, really basically related it to your work and, and to mm-hmm. how churches kind of should, can, can respond in community. Would mm-hmm. you mind sharing that? Cause I think that that was an important way of how you look at this, um, using parables. And I, I've always been a big sucker for the parables. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is the um um yeah, the problem solving, the the mm-hmm, kind of uh, yeah. lens on problem solving, yeah. Yeah, I think um one thing I've noticed especially in kind of like progressive uh uh mainline churches is um is is an obsession with the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And we we tend to look at the neighborhood or we look at our own church especially through the lens of what's broken and what's 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 failing. And um, part of what I noticed in that um, was the way that obsession steps beyond, avoids, neglects to look at the goodness that is all around us, both within our church and within our neighborhoods. And yeah, that reminded me so quickly of that parable of um, the landowner who goes out and he sows this good seed, expecting that it's all going to grow up beautifully. 
uh, and in the in the night, an enemy comes out and sows weeds, and uh, and then his uh, his servants come up to him and say, "All right, you've got all these weeds here. Do you want us to go out and we'll start pulling them up?" Right? And for me, that that sounds so much like the mentality of of uh, of the mainline church right now. Right? Let's go find let's find all the weeds and we're going to pluck them all up. And if we do that, then what's left will be just all goodness, right? Um, and instead, the landowner wisely, I think, says, you know, I think it's better to pay attention to the health and well-being, the goodness of the good seed we sowed. If we spend all of our time going out and pulling up the weeds, we're likely to pull up the good seed, the good plants that are going to produce fruit just as much. Um, and so I think for us that there's some wisdom in that to say, um, and this is the basic premise of asset-based community development again, too, is to say, instead of focusing on what's wrong, let's focus on what's strong. And, hmm. and if we put our attention there, um, I have faith that 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 actually will produce fruit and and fruit on fruit on fruit um where if we focus only on what's on the weeds on what's wrong i think we're likely to pull up and damage some of what's what's producing good fruit that doesn't mean that we ignore the weeds mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that when they start to um overtake that we don't have some interventions right um and and it's not a it's not a um a suggestion to avoid, you know, toxicity or evil or, or those kinds of things. Instead, it's to say mm-hmm. the best way um, to address those concerns or the best way to overcome the weeds is actually to grow healthy, good producing plants. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I heard in that, in that parable. So kind of wrapping things up is, what word would you have to give to churches out there, especially after post COVID that are trying to kind of figure Mm -hmm. out what they're doing? Um, what kind of word of hope can you give them? Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, COVID gave us a, um, an unintentional Jubilee, um, a fast, uh, you know, uh, we, we got to let the fields lie, um, untoiled, you know, un, untended. And now we have this, this space to really decide who we want to be again. Um, there's some freedom, I think in, um, there's lots of pain. I don't want to suggest that COVID was a good thing. Um, but coming out of that, I think there's, there's some freedom for us, um, to really focus on, who we feel we are being called to be as church. Um, and I think the word of hope is that um, God continues to show up in the small, simple things that build community. Mm-hmm. And the pressure we often feel to do, the, the pressure we often feel to do the grand thing, the big thing, the big programmatic pro- project thing, um, I think we have permission in this moment to set that down because I think COVID reminded us and taught us that um, fellowship matters, that relationship matters, that a sense of belonging and care and concern uh, matters and that the essentials matter, food and safety and uh, a, a sense of 
uh, community really, really matter. And I, I think the, uh, additionally, when churches focus their attention on those small, simple things, I think they, they see an, uh, an, um, a larger sense of, of God's action than they might, they might expect to see, um, when we attend, uh, when we in- attend there. So I think the word of hope for me, the thing that has been most hopeful for me is that God continues to show up in the small, simple things and continues to call us there as well. And I think that's permission for church. Um, don't, don't busy ourselves with the, the bigness that we think we're, we're supposed to attend to and instead focus, focus on depth rather than breadth, focus on relationships mm-hmm. rather than numbers and trust that God is going to do something incredible. Um, among the people and the places where you've been called to live and worship. If people want to um, find out about you, learn more about you, mm-hmm. um, where can they go? Yeah, uh, you can uh, check out my website, which is just my name, nicholastangen.com. Um, so I write pretty regularly there. Um, and then I also have a podcast called At the Table, Christian Community for the Common Good. Um, and so having conversations uh, just like this about uh, how uh, Christian the the Christian Church can continue to be um, a, a force for for good and for the common good in the neighborhood. So yeah, you can check me out there. Okay, cool. Well, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. To, uh, mm-hmm. I think that this was very important. Um, it's always a reminder sometimes that in our life, sometimes you don't always have to be busy. Sometimes it's Amen. about sitting and listening mm-hmm. to God and and our neighbor. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. All right. Take care. See ya. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Check out the show notes to for how to read some of the articles that Nicholas has written online, and also a link to his podcast, At the Table. That's it for this episode of Church in Maine. Remember to rate and review this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you lis- listen to this podcast. That helps others find it. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you again for listening. Take care, Godspeed, and I will see you very soon.